I think, you know, I think just that kind of importance of of sharing Mexican and Latin American culture. I can't even emphasize that enough because there's so much that I learn every day and we could fill issues and issues of everything from best artisans in the world to the best chefs and food and and all of that kind of rich culture. Like we could do an issue just on Peru. So I think really sharing all the beauty of Latin America is, is something that has really been like my main focus. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. For most of my career, I worked in magazines, and while the industry has changed radically during that time, I consider myself fortunate to have worked during a golden age of publishing. As titles go online only, or vanish entirely, So many talented editors, art directors, and publishers have vanished from the industry too. But I'm fascinated by those still standing and steering their magazines through difficult and completely unpredictable times. One of those leaders is Carla Martinez de Salas, head of editorial content for Vogue Mexico and Latin America. A veteran fashion editor now based in Mexico City, Carla has carefully forged a new path for her publication. With one foot in the traditions of glossy magazines, and one in a new and refreshing era that celebrates and embraces diversity and the modern woman. Vogue Mexico began in the 1980s and was relaunched in 1999 in its current form with different versions that cover most of Latin America. The first time I read the name Carla Martinez was when a cover of hers crossed my path during my days at Departures Magazine. It was the December 2018 issue with an actress on the cover. Not just any actress, but Yalitza Aparicio, the breakout star of Alfonso Cuaron's celebrated film Roma. It won three Academy Awards, and Yalitza was nominated for Best Actress. The cover broke boundaries as being the first time an indigenous woman was featured on the cover of the magazine, which I didn't even realize at the time. The stunning image accomplished a rare goal for any fashion magazine, to be both relatable and utterly glamorous at the same time. I wanted to ask the dynamic, Texas-born editor how she got that cover to happen, how she started her incredible career, and what kind of day she would plan in Mexico City for her boss, the one and only Anna Wintour. So I just kind of wanted to start a little bit from the beginning. Um, and you grew up in El Paso. And so what was life like for you, like as a kid growing up in Texas? Um, it was interesting. You know, I, I funny. I always, um, because people always say, it took me a while to say, like, I'm from El Paso. I kind of didn't know where I was from for so long because my parents um, moved to the U.S. when, um, after they, shortly after they got married, my dad um, was a doctor and he wanted to do his residency in the U.S. and was accepted into a program in um, Orlando. So my sister and I were born there. And then we lived in New York super quick, like for six months while my dad did a fellowship. I don't even remember. And then we moved to Memphis, um, Tennessee, where I did kinder first and second grade. And then my mom said, you know, your dad is finally getting a job as a partner at a, um, at a, um, with a doctor in El Paso and we're going to check it out. And I remember my mom being like, everywhere I've ever lived is so green and El Paso is just brown, you know? Um, and it was really nice. I mean, I moved there in third grade. I have three siblings, um, we're three girls and, and a boy. 
and or three ladies and a man. Now I know I, I I always when I refer to my siblings, I say older, little, as if they were you know ten, but we're right. all full adults now. Um, <laughs> and um, it was it was a you know I think growing up in El Paso when I was there, it didn't seem like. Um, anywhere interesting. None of the cool bands ever went. We always had to go to Houston or LA or Phoenix to like see all the big concerts, to go shopping, even to get like a Banana Republic t-shirt. Remember those with like the kind of lions and, you know, you had to go to Phoenix or you had to go to Dallas or somewhere where there was a Banana Republic. So um, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was really, um, but now in hindsight, I think that was a good thing um, because there were all sorts of really cool kind of indie scenes in El Paso, like scenes in El Paso that I thought, um, you know, that made us kind of really original and, and funky. Um, I always see that t-shirt, which is like, keep Austin weird. And I think El Paso is weird. And I don't think <laughs> we don't ever have to keep it that way because it just stays that way. Um, and not weird in a, in a, bad way just different i would say different more than more than weird um and my parents we used to drive back to mexico every summer um so where were they from they my mom is from what la huasteca potosina which is in san luis potosi which is where Gilitla is where where the sir edward james castle is that's kind of the best point of reference because it's an area of mexico that hasn't been it's really beautiful um really warm. It's kind of this weird kind of tropical microclimate with no ocean per se. It just has like a bunch of rivers and um, different mountains and valleys. But um, my mom was from there and my dad was from San Luis Potosi capital, but he loved going to my mom's house. Um, so that's kind of where my summers were spent. My my mom would um, send us with her sister, one of her younger sisters to stay for the month. And then my parents would come pick us up and then we would drive back, which is always, you know, everywhere. There were four of us. So we drove everywhere, you know, like I think in thinking like about travel now and what my life is with my husband, you know, we have two daughters and we fly, we don't fly everywhere, but we, you know, my, my parents, if we wanted to go skiing, we drove. If we wanted to go to Vegas, we drove. If we wanted to go see my aunt in Memphis, we drove, you know. Um, so it's interesting, like now that I'm thinking about like living in El Paso and traveling, those are like my, the, the like what stands out the most. And you've said in, the inter- in interviews in the past uh, that your dad faced some obstacles uh, for like having an accent or just for being an immigrant. How did do you think that that sort of impacted you sideways as a young girl, sort of being around that? I always thought about, you know, he would, he was constantly reminding us, you know, I came to this country, like I barely spoke English, you know, people thought, you know, less of me because I, my skin was brown because I came from Mexico, you know, that I, I must be the janitor, you know, I must be, I must not be here for the doctor's position. And so those are things that, that I grew up like very present. And, um, you know, he always said like, you're a woman, you're an immigrant, an immigrant's daughter, you're going to have to work twice as hard. And he, he was a hundred percent right. And whether I kind of realized it or not. And, um, I think that's why I really liked moving to New York. Cause I felt like there's so many different nationalities in New York and yes, I, I, 
you can't say that you don't experience obstacles, but I liked that I was one of many people like me, right? That, that where I felt like there were so many of us trying to kind of belong. Um, but yes, and I remember when my dad died, his partner who was an American, who's an American doctor um, from Michigan called John Lidicote. And he told us the story of when my dad went to interview, his his hobby on the side was to build houses. And he said, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I just, I, you know, it's something that, that has always stuck with me is I thought you're, I asked your dad if he was interviewing for the carpenter's position. He said, no, I'm here for the, you know, to be your partner. And he just said, that my dad was so like said it with such conviction and you know he's like i i have to hire i i have to this is the guy you know and and i feel like a lot of those and you can probably relate that the immigrant struggle i always relate this to el paso i don't know if you know this but el paso is one of the safest cities in america um while being a very poor county as well and they say it's because of you know the large immigrant community and it's because people have this sense of being neighbors being good neighbors being respectful and that has nothing to do with dollars right it's just that really nice feeling of work hard um take care of your neighbor take care of your family and and be a community and i feel like that's something that that i think i really got from el paso and from my my parents in general. You know, how, what sort of passions came to you first? Was it journalism or fashion or kind of like, you know, a little bit of a chicken and egg? No, I would say more fashion. Um, it's funny. I, I, um, looking at my screen at my friend's company called APC Collective and she is, a also from El Paso and she's kind of been my like friend and mentor and kind of someone I really look up to and she used to help me write my sentences in elementary <laughs> school but um I remember I met the way I met her was I went up to her and asked her what brand her sweatshirt was and it was a spree remember a spree oh of course and yeah I just remember as a young girl, like the first time I got my hair blow dried, I remember I fainted. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if it was the excitement, but I just, I remember that feeling of like having my hair blow dried and the way something you loved made you feel. And I just knew that I wanted to do something with clothes, with accessories, that everything, and also part of that, like, growing up in El Paso was like kind of expressing yourself through fashion, right? So I would say that that was the first, um, my first love, like that I knew I wanted to do something in fashion, but then I didn't realize that there was a whole kind of fashion journalism career that could be had until later on. And how did that happen? Like, where did you go to school? Um, I went to school at the University of Arizona and I was surrounded by like East Coasters. It was like either West Coast or East Coast. And there kids were from like LA, like from the Valley. It's like Studio City, Calabasas. Um, and then the New York kids were from like Great Neck and um, like a lot, a lot of them from Long Island, a lot of them from New Jersey, from like the Oranges and, you know, um, yeah. Rye, um, very few from Connecticut, but that that was kind of like the two. And I remember a friend of mine said to me, her mom worked at like the best store in El Paso. I was like, oh, my mom got me an internship at Nicole Miller. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do this summer? I'm going to be like filing, you know, doing, you know, filing stuff in my dad's office for like 
$5 an hour, whatever. And um, so I like frantic, I always loved magazines. I always loved kind of transporting myself. And I, I really say that I was got my education. I knew I learned everything from like mm. Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, W and newspaper format. So I started calling these magazines and, um, you know, the ads that had like for more information and yeah. some girl picked up the phone um, at AFA showroom and was like, oh, I'm from Tucson too. Um, you know, you're because I said I'm at University of Arizona. And she said, I'm from Tucson. Come for an interview. And that's why, like, I'm always, always say that, like, I love picking up, you know, just answer, just try, right? Someone might yeah. be nice and not hang up on you. So, um, well, now, not even hang up. Now they might not answer you on, like, DM or whatever kids do now. And so, um, and so I went, I moved to New York with my friend, Audrey, and she was working at Brian Bantry Agency. And we were kind of, like, living on the Upper East Side next to Eliza Bar and learning that, you know, a piece of bread in New York is, you know, a loaf of bread is like $6 versus, you know, $1.99. And, um, and I was in this showroom that was Narciso Rodriguez, Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, Alberta Ferretti, Moschino. And I can't remember, there was one more designer, but there were four designers that they represented. And I remember the minute, the day someone from W came in to do a poll for a fashion shoot. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? And I walked around with her and kind of saw what she was doing. And I said, I have to do mm. this next summer. So I called W. What year was this? It was 1997, 97. Okay. So then in 98, I interviewed at W also because a lovely woman named Stella Angelacos picked up the phone and actually I'm in touch with her over Instagram. And I know Stella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She worked at Stella Kanye is the <laughs> single-handedly can be credited with my career, I feel like. Yes. She uh, was my HR person when I was at House and Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really? at Condé. And then she also was freelancing uh, for Surface Magazine. And I remember, and she was recruiting for an associate editor position. And uh, when she hired me, she was like, Dan, you know, you're from Condé. You know how it's done. You know, you'll, you'll do well here. It'll be fine. You know how it, things are supposed to be. And uh, yeah, that was the next eight years of my life. We love Stella. Stella, if you're listening, we love you. Oh my God. That's so interesting. Yeah. Stella, I know. I hope Stella's listening because I feel like, I have not quite encountered another HR person like that, that really took interest in, in me. And I remember when she interviewed me and then she said, you know, it, W belonged to, to Disney at the time. Yes. Right. And I believe so. Yeah. 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 I'm not, not hundred percent sure, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then Condé Nast bought it and she said, I'm going to Condé. And so when I, I moved to Paris after I graduated from college and Stella, um, I emailed Stella and I said, my dad said enough, you cannot be in Paris any longer making, you know, two euros. It wasn't even euros. It was Frank's. It was like, you know, not to the equivalent to like $5 an hour. He's like, you have to go get a job and it looks like you're not going to get a sponsorship sponsored job in Paris. So wherever, but just leave. And so I moved to New York and I called Stella and Stella hired me, recommended me to work at Mademoiselle. And that was my first Condé job. Before we return to Carla, a word from our sponsor, Janice AC. 
In the world of design, an appreciation of the outdoors is more important in our lives than ever before. Enter Janice AC. As a leader in outdoor furniture for more than 40 years, the brand combines unparalleled levels of craft and engineering to create works by the world's best designers and architects, from Andre Fu and Gabellini Shepard to Piero Lissoni. But beyond the incredible products and designs, Janice AC provides a level of service and expertise that's always best in class. The Knot Collection is one of those incredible designs that will never truly go out of style and is versatile enough to work in a warm and traditional home or a starkly modern urban retreat. Engineered to withstand the outdoor elements without fading or fraying, Knot is just as equally suited for casual indoor spaces. This wide-ranging collection, from counter stools to sofas and cocktail tables, is defined by its unique materiality that only Janus AC could deliver on. Each seat and back is tightly handwoven in olefin rope around a barely there aluminum frame. The line comes in two colors, a sophisticated modern cream called fossil and a dark gray called shale. My personal favorite is a three-seater, ideal for a poolside party or just a quiet nap in the sun. To acquire your own set of this cohesive collection, make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T-C-I-E.com. Like many American fashion and style editors, Carla got her own grand tour around the best titles in the business, giving her a triple platinum education preparing her for her role today as the editor-in-chief of Vogue Mexico and Latin America. After working for Hearst in Paris, she moved back to New York, where she got a job at Mademoiselle, followed by Elle, Vogue, T Magazine at the New York Times, Interview, and then eventually W. Then, in 2015, she followed her husband to Mexico, because he got a job there, and began her current position at Vogue Mexico a year later. In other words, Kala has seen a thing or two in fashion and publishing. In an age of rapid cultural shifts and an ever-evolving media landscape, I wanted her to explain the ins and outs of the magazine and how her own background informs her role today. And you've said uh, in an interview uh, that you credit some of your success to Latinidad. Like, can you explain in your own words, what that means to you personally and how that helped you in your life? I think, you know, I think kind of not, like I always felt like in Mexico, I wasn't Mexican enough and in the US, I wasn't American enough and I was kind of in between. So I think it obviously like really like I always would remember my dad saying, like, remember what I told you, like, it's not going to be easy. You're going to face a lot of obstacles. And I feel like, but that kind of attitude and I felt like I felt so kind of proud and, and happy to be in, in so, so with such privilege to be in the positions that I was, um, despite, you know, not being, you know, but I think my, you know, my dad was a doctor, so we had a very nice, um, you know, we were probably middle, upper middle class in in El Paso in New York. You're probably middle class, you know. That's it's obviously that's changes, but I I really felt like just seeing 
things through two cultures always really helped me and helped me um, deal with different people that I was working with and, and who came into my, you know, life through jobs. And I, I feel like that is something that, that being Latina and being oftentimes being the only Latina in the room really, really helped me adapt and kind of deal with circumstances very differently than other people. Um, it's something I've always been really proud of. I mean, at times, yeah, you know, it, I, I would look around and say like, no one, no one looks like me. I don't, you know, I remember reading an article that Hanya Yanagahara, an interview saying that she didn't look like a Condé Nast editor. And I, I could never relate to, I didn't know how to say it. And I guess, yeah, there weren't people that looked like me. And I, I, I think I use that to, I never use that as, as a handicap. On the contrary, I think I, it helped me kind of develop who I was as a person and really use it when thinking about content and when thinking about what I wanted to do and how, what I wanted to project through my work. So tell me a little bit about uh, Vogue Mexico. And first of all, just as, on a, as an aside, is it technically Vogue Mexico and Latin America yes. as one publication, but it used to be two? No, or is it, it's was two it... publications. It's two okay. publications, um, which is really interesting. And most people don't know because a lot of the times being in the U.S. or being somewhere else, they're like, oh, Latin America, they're all the same. And I mean, it's as about as different. I mean, you know, but not everyone knows that. So there are two publications. Unfortunately, it's one budget. So we kind of have to share a lot of the content and we figure out, you know, what works for LATAM, considering that it right now they're going into winter and we're going to go or into fall and we're going into spring. And so, you know, just like though that's one major factor, right? And then, you know, just the fact that the Spanish itself is different. You know, we have to re when we we call it tropicalize, we tropicalize the the Latin version to Mexico because you know differences in bag, you know purse, etc. Do you have the same cover? We most of the time we share the same cover, just because okay. we don't have the budget to do another one. But there have been so it's kind of like this. Yes, there, so it's kind of like different editions of the same. Yes, same team, same. Exactly. Yeah, there they they've been. Um, there have been times that we have been able to do both, or sometimes if I like two images a lot. Um, then I'll do one for Latam and one for Mexico because so, they're two di different um, editions, completely, you know, different audiences, as I was saying, you know, just like cultural innuendos and not being able to like go to Argentina or go to Colombia all the time and see, you know, the market. So it was a little bit kind of editing on, on instinct and like trusting um, the people that we had on the ground to kind of, you know, have the best content. And then, I, I would say we started getting our stride. I think in the beginning, I remember speaking to Carl Templer and he was very helpful because he said like, what do you want it to be, right? Like what, like, you know, each Vogue very much has their identity. And and I knew I wanted to be more representative of the market and I didn't know if that was through fashion or through people. And then I realized that it really needed to be through like the covers and through um the celebrities, musicians, models, and all the, you know, different talented people that, that you can have in Mexico and Latin America. And, um, that's, we, that's the direction we started taking in 2017 when we put Lanacy on the cover and, you know, she 
wore her Afro hair, natural hair. And she said to me, thanks for doing that because, you know, women in Dominican Republic don't wear their hair natural. It is not fashionable. And like the amount of girls that went up to me saying, thank you for showing that a Vogue cover can have natural curls is important. And I, I felt like there were so many of these stories that we wanted to share. So that's the direction that, that, that we started taking and it, and it worked. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times like magazines fall into this, you know, cause we're trying to build audiences, we're trying to sell issues and we're trying to get attention right in this flood of, of, of information that we have out there. So, um, you know, I used to think that it was like, oh, you need a model with like a big Instagram following. So that, and I realized it doesn't work like that. You know, it, it's, you have to be authentic. Your content needs to auth- be authentic to your region um, in this very global world. Right. And so that's been like really, really exciting um, to see that kind of the way we like slowly, but surely, you know, we're able to to really talk about this, about Latin American culture through fashion in vogue, I think was really important. And when it comes to, you know, you mentioned you also edit the edition for Vogue Latin America as well. And so, you know, being someone who has ties to Mexico and now you live in Mexico, what have you learned about uh, fashion culture in Latin America that in the past couple of years since you started working there that you maybe didn't understand before? I think, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of people like that, for example, when I started the magazine, were like, oh, you know, Mexican women, they want to see like big famous models and blah, blah, blah. And like, they're very aspirational. It's like, yes, they do. But they love that kind of sense of being represented. I feel like I totally underestimated that. And, you know, we were able to do it at, at a good time. So it's not like I felt like I, I, there was like time wasted, but I, that I feel like was something that, that we learned like a few months into being here, you know, that women really wanted to feel represented and they love fashion and they love, you know, consuming it and wearing it. And people are much more, I don't know if you got this impression, but people are a little more formal here. And like, there's an occasion, there's that kind of joy of living and enjoying, um, that that pre- that you see professionally but also um you know on on a personal level right so um i feel like that's something that that i didn't exactly know and i also something is that i tried to do like multiple things in one day and you can't do multiple things in one day here it's kind of like la you need to choose one and you need to choose an area and it's okay you know it's it's it, i'm always trying to like go everywhere but it's not possible. And I feel like that's something that I learned here. And in general, like if you were to put Vogue Mexico next to any of the other editions of Vogue from around the world, like how would you describe Vogue Mexico just purely from a magazine point of view? Well, if they were I all, would, in the, excuse me, if they were all in the same language, if they were all in the same language, I would say that, you know, we're um, very like want to tell great stories about females and their connection and their, um, you know, vision in Latin America. Right. I, I remember I had a boss that said, oh, you know, she's not Vogue. And it's like, no, but she 
you make her Vogue. You know what I mean? Like she is Vogue. She's a smart, interesting, accomplished, like fierce woman, right? You know, that's, that's, that can carry like a dress. And I feel like, yes, there is this, this, um, kind of Vogue lens that you see um, when you see a cover. And that doesn't mean we transform them. We just kind of highlight something. You know, I, I was just with Carol G, who was on our March cover, and we're doing an exciting talk with her um, in a few weeks. Or we did the talk, and we're, we're featuring it for Vogue Club members in a couple of weeks. And she was like, you know, when I want – this cover was so important to me, and I was so excited to see people's comments – after the cover. Um, and a lot of them were like, you softened up the makeup, your hair was back. And it's not like we transformed her. She just got the Vogue vision, which is how we wanted to see her, you know, like really seeing her true kind of beautiful face. Um, and, and so I would say accomplished, um, successful, interesting Mexican or Latin American women, not to say that that it only has to be Latin American at all. Cause we've certainly had people that, you know, are American, European, but I just feel like there's so many stories to tell that, you know, we have basically 12 issues to tell them. So it makes me really excited because there's so much amazing talent that maybe you're not seeing anywhere else. Before we return to Carla, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. Fort Street Studio's sumptuous carpets are expertly hand-knotted, and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs, which originate from watercolor art. One of the studio's hallmarks are special commissions in non-repeating and asymmetrical carpet designs. Ford Street Studios' creative directors take their cues from the worlds of fashion, jewelry, and contemporary art for inspiration. But everything can be customized to fit the demands of a special interior. The brand has the special access to the best dye masters in the artisanal rug industry, and can easily match or coordinate with the fabric, paints, and finishes in a room. Harmonious palettes of color can even contain unexpected tones that create a sparkle or shadow effect. To create your own bespoke masterpiece carpet, visit fortstreetstudio.com. One of your most famous covers was in 2019 um, with Yalitza Aparicio Martinez, which was quite stunning to me. I, you know, it really stood out. I remember when it came out, we were sharing it around the office and kind of admiring it and how great it was. And can you describe what that was, that was like, uh, for this actress who people may not remember the film and she, you know, from, I think it was a Netflix Roma. film, from, if I, Roma yeah. and how amazing it was. And, and, you know, and what was the feedback you got from that? If so you could tell that story. I always say that there was kind of a before and after Yalitza, um, not just for us, but for the industry in, in Mexico, I think. And I remember we, um, I'll say this briefly, but so when we were pitched this cover, the one of the girls that worked in my office, who um, at the time was the culture editor, said to me, um, what do you think of Yalitza? You know, she's in this movie, the new Quaron movie. And I was like, we can't do Yalitza. Like, no one knows who she is. You know, how am I going to put, like, you know, a no-name actress on the, that's first time acting? Like, you know, so I said, but let's see the movie and we'll see. And then I saw the movie and I was like, still, it, it had nothing to do with her being indigenous. It just had... Like it had everything to do with it. No one knew who she was. So how was she going to sell a cover? And I went to New York for Fashion Week 
And I saw one of my former colleagues and she said to me, have you seen Roma? And I said, yes, it's great. We're looking to do something with the cast. And she said to me, you would never put Yalitza on the cover. And I was like, why is she saying that? And I know why she said it. And she was saying it because she's, she wasn't like a cover worthy actress. She didn't look like a cover worthy actress. And I said, I literally called Regina that minute like when I left the party and I said, we have to put Yalitza on the cover. And I guess it was just this instinct of like, why is she telling me? Like, I want to go against, if she, if she's telling me not to do it, I want to go completely against the fold because it kind of like, I, I thought it was presumptuous that she would assume that like she knew what would work on one of my covers. And so we put her on the cover and it was, when I tell you the comments, the, clicks the it was like the for we first did it for the art when we talked about the movie and then we did the month a month later but when we talked about when we released one image that wasn't the cover image I remember my Instagram going like you know in like fast forward I woke up I had like 5,000 likes on a picture it was obscene and then when we released the cover which we worked with Netflix on to release the same day as the movie came out on um on Netflix, we got the most amazing reaction. Like, yes, you know, you, there were some negative. I always say that Mexicans sometimes are, we're our own worst enemies because instead of like bringing this woman up, they wanted to tear her down because mm. she was indigenous and she was wearing fancy clothes and, you know, everything that's wrong with, with, with us, you know, and that we're not racist society. We're, yeah, but you're classes, so it's almost worse, and and which is kind of as bad as being racist. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of the most important things I think I've done in my career, and one that I'm really proud of because the way we kind of executed it and made her feel, and you know, was really important. And I think we really changed the conversation in the industry. You know, after that, she got a head and shoulders campaign, whereas before we, the only people we'd seen a head and shoulders campaign were like blonde, straight haired women. And a lot of what we saw on TV in media did not represent us, um, did not represent what Mexico was. It was this idea of aspiration. People want to be European. People want to be American. They want everything American. And I think that back to what I was saying before, that's wrong. People don't want to, they, they, that's what you think. And that's what people have been trained to think. But, um, I remember my friend, Audrey, that's, I was telling you was my mentor said to me, thank you for putting someone that looks like me on your cover. And I was like, wow, it's true. Like when else did we see, you know, when did I ever see anyone, maybe Salma Hayek on the red carpet, but that's it, you know, and on a few magazine covers. So that was an exciting um, time. And, and I think it shifted everything that we did from that moment on. And did it sell well? On those Extremely stands? well, like sold. It had, I think the most, tra it brought them, the first person that brought a lot of traffic, I remember was Camila Cabello, who's Cuban, but grew up in Mexico for a few years of her life. And that's when I was like, okay, we got to put these like brown girls on our cover. Like this is, this is like what people want to see. And then, so before Yalitza it was Camila and then, um, then it was Yalitza that was 
probably the best selling cover we've ever had. And has the what is this? How would you describe the the fashion scene and the fashion industry in Latin America today? Well, it's grown quite a bit. Um, I feel like when I first came here, you know, there were a few young designers um, and a few established ones, but I feel like there's a lot more space for them now. Um, I do feel like Colombia, for example, has got, you know, has Joanna Ortiz, Silvia Chirassi, Leo Dacaret, like all these big names. I was looking, I was supposed to be at a friend's summit this week and then had to shoot a video with Carol G, um, the Latin American Fashion Summit, which was founded by um, two friends of mine, one of them who was my intern. And I like to say that just because she, she's come this far. Um, and um, she, you know, was interviewing Lauren Santo Domingo and Joanna. And I feel like they really helped to put Latin American talent on the map. And um, Colombia is one of those countries that's really like their government has really gotten behind the textile industry. So um, they're produced like their big manufacturers of like swimwear and um, sportswear. And so I feel like that's something that's, that's, coming out of, of Colombia and really interesting. But I also feel like some of the, a lot of the fashion designers that you see coming out of Latin America already have the sustainability chip. So like they're, you know, we have a, a space called Espacio Vogue. That's like a trunk, a pop-up shop that we do in Mexico city and Miami. And majority of the designers are working with like cactus leather handbags, you know? So like they, they all have this very conscientious mind about fashion being wasteful and about how to be less wasteful. And, you know, for those who want to spend some time in Mexico, uh, where would you say in the country, what region of the country would you say is the next sort of hotspot in Mexico for tourism? Oh my God. That's not maybe well-traveled yet. That's not Oaxaca. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, um, I was just in Oaxaca. Uh, we have an apartment in Puerto Escondido and we were just in Oaxaca in December. We drove um, and it was like, there was not one Spanish speaking person in sight. I mean, everyone was, was, was foreign, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, I feel like it's done really like on the contrary to what we were talking about with Paris, I feel like Mexico got a lot of tourism um, during COVID because people, you know, the, the rules were much more lax. But I would say um, Chiapas is um, somewhere where I'm dying to go and um, people and it still has this very authentic feel um, and there's like things to do for, you know, inside the cities. Uh, artisan, artisans to visit, like beautiful textiles, beautiful nature. You know, there's a be big, beautiful canyon. So I would say like either Chiapas or Oaxaca or both. And what's next for you? What's the next, uh, the next big issue that you're working on right now? So right now we're working on our April issue, um, which is, which we're actually closing because we close very late. We're more like on the Italian Vogue schedule. So we're closing it today. Um, it's shipping and um, I'm excited because it's basically, we talk a lot about our, our roots and, you know, um, one of the things that I really want to talk about here, which would be interesting to you, and and also in the next couple of months, like in the issues, is 
all these like kind of young kids that have moved from like London, New York, Paris to Mexico and like what they're doing here and how they're changing kind of the landscape in different areas of the city. So um, we talk about roots and um, we, we're doing a model cover with a great girl named Devin Garcia and Linacy again, actually. Um, I think this is like her third or fourth Vogue Mexico cover. <laughs> <laughs> and to all of the people out there that might think, I think, you know, Mexico City is like kind of like Miami. Anybody that visits, they're kind of like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to live here? Maybe I see so many people kind of coming here, um, and they, you know, and they have the great food, great people, uh, amazing architecture. You know, what would you tell people about moving to Mexico City today? Is it still, is it too late or is it like? No, I think, like I think you can people? find some, some good things. I think I always say that, um, like kind of the dream would be like, I don't know, New York, Mexico, Mexico in the winter, obviously, just because we have like such beautiful um, winter. But I always, I also say like, learn the language, kind of really take it as a time to fall in love and like, um, live in an area that you love also, because you know, the traffic here is really bad. And you don't want to you're moving here to kind of have a nice quality of life where you can walk outside and grab a coffee. And I feel like, really get to know the neighborhood where you want to live. And um, yeah, there's so, I, I find it so great that we, that the landscape has changed so much and that, you know, you go to Roma and like all the restaurants are kind of bustling, like full of foreigners. Um, and that, that's exciting. I think that they've kind of made it this like must stop city. And here's a hypothetical for you. Uh, Anna's coming to town and she's got a free day with no work. And she wants you to plan a day for her in Mexico City. What's that day like? Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, um, it would start early. So I would take her to one of the um, amazing, because I know she loves flowers. So I would take her to the amazing um, um, Mercado de Jamaica to see like the, the all this like kind of beautiful colors. Um, then I would take her to La Ciudadela to meet one of the, you know, just to see all the different artisans um, from around Mexico and kind of see it in one place. We would definitely have lunch at Contramar. It probably wouldn't be four hours long, but more like an hour and a half. Um, and Tell people what Contramar is, uh, and if, for those who don't know. Oh, Contramar is um, Gabriela Camara's seafood restaurant. Um, and it kind of is, lunch in Mexico is kind of a very long um fun affair. So I would say it starts Thursday and then Friday, like literally no one goes back to their office. So you can start your lunch at Contramar at two and be home by eight on a, on oh, a, gosh. on a very tame day. So I would definitely take her to, um, Contramar. And then I would take her to the Lago Algo, which is the new um, gallery in San Miguel, in Parque Chapultepec that was by, um, that is by OMR Gallery and um, has a great restaurant. And um, then definitely to see some of the local fashion at my favorite store called Honora. And what kind of fashion do they have there? Um, they have uh, also like artisans, like beautiful home decor, pottery. Um, you know, it's it's more of like a design store versus um, fashion. But yes, but depending on, I, I would be praying that there was no traffic. Because I wouldn't see her 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 patience level being very good for for Mexico City traffic. <laughs> uh, and for dinner, 
Ooh, for dinner, I would say I would try um, Lucho Martinez's new restaurant called EM. It's, um, you know, a very kind of great experience. Like It's like a new culinary experience. It's... Um, have you heard of him? He is, you know, one of the next up and coming chefs um, from Mexico City. And um, the space is just like absolutely beautiful. And it's Mexican food, but very much like with a kind of interesting twist. So I feel like she might like that. And if you had to sort of, uh, if you wanted, you know, our listeners to understand one thing about, um, your role at, at Vogue Mexico and Latin America, what would you want that one thing to be? No, I feel like in as like, I feel like there's always new things to discover. That's the thing. You know, there's so many, um, like interesting things coming out. I feel like just in, in the past, um, couple of years, like, you know, people were buying furniture like in Houston and now people are buying furniture here from like, you know, all and people are coming here to buy furniture. Whereas before we were always looking somewhere else to buy things. And I feel like the fact that there's so much kind of creativity coming out of, of these countries and people are really inspired by what's happening. I thought, you know, um, I saw at the Dior boutique in Paris, that's like this 10,000 square foot store. There's a painting by Carlos Amorales in one of the VIP rooms. And like in the room next door, there's a John Chamberlain sculpture. And I'm like, that's amazing that we have a Mexican, you know, um, paint, like one of these, there's not a Picasso, there's not a, you know, John Curran, it's, it's a Carlos Amorales, which is amazing. And just recently, who she was on our cover two years ago, I don't know if um, you saw this, but Frida Escobedo is um, designing the new modern wing at the Met. And she was on our cover in, sorry, three years ago, October 2019 on our anniversary issue where we highlighted these. So I feel like just that alone, um, that was three years ago that we put on our cover. So you can imagine the new Frida, right, in a couple of years. So I feel like there's always someone new and inspiring to talk about. Thank you to Carla, Maura Egan, and the entire team at Condé Nast for making this episode happen. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more and sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen and leave us a rating or comment every little bit helps. Till next time.